This is the Thanks for Sharing podcast, the podcast where we explore all things recovery, healing, and relationship. Remember to subscribe and download episodes in the iTunes Store, the Google Play Store, or on the Podbean app. You can find more Thanks for Sharing at www.thanksforsharingpodcast.com or on Facebook at facebook.com slash healingpaths. That's paths with an S. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Thanks for Sharing. I'm Jackie P. I'm John T. So we are on location, but that's not as exciting as it sounds. We're really just in Salt Lake, which for us is our backyard. (laughs) But we're here at the SASH conference, which is the Society for the Advancement of Sexual Health. And we're really excited because because the SASH conference was here this year in Salt Lake, it brought Rob Weiss, one of our colleagues and somebody who we have learned much from, to our state. And so we're able to interview him in person because he's here in Salt Lake for the SASH conference. So welcome, Rob. Well, thanks. I'm glad to be here, in yeah. both in Salt Lake and on your show. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, so Rob is somebody um, high up in the CSAC community. Our listeners will know what the CSAC community is, has several books out. Um, I think when John reached out to you, we wanted to talk about, I think it's your latest book, Out of the Doghouse, mm-hmm. um, but your book, Sex Addiction 101, that's required reading for anybody into our mm-hmm. beginning group for sex addiction. Thank you. Yeah, and we really kind of work around that, um, the, the information that you have in that book for, for so that. so have the workbook too. Yes, yes we, we do. do. Okay. Yes, we do. And when they're ready to start that group, we give them both and say, here are these books. This We're going to be, be working doing. out of them. Yeah. Thank you. That's the goal. So yes. appreciate it. Yeah. yeah. And then uh, was Cruise Control your first book? or? I wrote a book in the, well, uh, uh, I've been working in the field of sex and relationship addiction since the late 80s. Oh, okay. So I entered the rooms of 12-step in on, uh, I went to my first S meeting on December 10th, 1985. Mm. I was 26. Everybody else was 46. <laughs> Nobody knew what recovery was. Um, in sexual recovery at that time, we were all just sort of trying to figure it out. Oh, okay. Um, but I entered the field through through the rooms of 12-step and then reading Pat Karn's work. Mm-hmm. And then the HIV crisis came along mm-hmm. and I thought, oh my God, you know, I've had enough sex to populate China because I am a <laughs> sex addict mm-hmm. and I didn't get sick and I didn't get the virus. Mm-hmm. And uh, for me, some people might call that a spiritual awakening. Yeah. So that's how I got on the road and okay. I went into, I, I got in school and got a degree and then I ended up working for Pat Carnes for four years in residential treatment in the early 90s. And by the time the mid 90s came around, I was, I had my own clinic and uh, I started writing because what I was seeing was um, an escalation in problem sexual behavior related to the internet, which had just happened. In mm-hmm. fact, I remember when people were struggling with computer, with when we had PCs but not internet connection, oh, okay. and people were struggling with digital, uh, with CDs and DVDs that mm-hmm. were had sexual content, mm-hmm. and that was like, oh, no more magazines. Now they're struggling with this, yes. and then the internet took off, and of course everything changed. Yeah. And uh, but I was writing about it. So my first book was called Cyber Sex Exposed. It was written in okay. 1999. It was the first book um, written about problem sexual behavior online. Mm. I didn't know that at the time, but it was. Yeah. And so it's been rewritten several times uh, in various ways, but that was the first book. Okay. And then Cruise Control was the second. Um, yeah. Because I was right in the midst of the HIV crisis, and I really knew that sex and drug addiction was leading people to make poor choices around their sexual behavior. Mm-hmm. And I thought gay men in particular, because mm-hmm. you know, if you're a gay man, it's it's hard to understand sex addiction because being a gay man is like being an alcoholic in a bar. You know, because sexual norms are different in the gay culture, having a lot of sex may or, or having a lot of indiscriminate sex may be a norm for that mm-hmm. culture as opposed yeah. to a married person who has three kids. Right. So it's hard to see whether you have a problem or not. It's easy to say in that community, oh well I'm just gay. 
it's not that I'm an addict. You know, this is this what gay is what guys gay do. do. Yeah. In fact, George Michael, you know, former singer and. Uh, he was arrested twice in parks and all that. He said, well, you guys don't understand my cruising parks and having sex with strangers. That's just what it is to be gay. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I was like, no, I don't, I don't think that's what it is mm -hmm. to be gay. That's mm -hmm. like saying, you know, I don't know. Uh, that's like saying being Irish is to be an alcoholic. You right, know, being gay right. because okay. you're a sex yeah. addict. It's like a, really a slur. Yes. But he saw it that way. And I understand that there are very okay. functional people who are sexually active and have wonderful, fulfilling lives, but they're not driven or losing their lives to sexuality, yeah. and they're certainly not getting diseases. Yeah. Well, and that's kind of what, I mean, Carl Jung kind of, when he was talking about the shadow, anytime things have to be hidden, right, they're going to go to an extreme that is probably not healthy for us. And I think for a lot of the um, gay population, that was definitely the case. They couldn't be out and open with their sexuality. Well, it's funny you say that because um, certainly when I was growing up, the gay scene was bars, uh, bathhouses, parks, restrooms. And I used to ask myself, like, why do gay men go to all these sleazy places to have sex, parks in the middle of the night? And, mm -hmm. and now I understand, of course, the history that, you know, when it was illegal to meet, when it was illegal, right. when you couldn't hold someone's hand. To where, even be. When if you were known as homosexual, it meant either imprisonment or institutionalization. Mm -hmm. Where were you going to go out and meet a guy for sex? You'd have to do it somewhere where nobody would see you. Right. Mm -hmm. That was often the so that's why that whole sort of war underworld of right. men, gay men. Now what I see, which is really exciting, I think for healthy gay mm -hmm. men, is they go hang out with their straight friends at a bar, mm -hmm. and when they feel like meeting somebody, they get on Tinder and uh, they get on Grinder. Their straight friend gets on Tinder, you know, and <laughs> right. they go find someone, but they're not in a gay bar because even that isn't needed anymore. Right. Yeah. And so all right. of that is real progress. But there are certainly still people who struggle in gay and straight communities with sex addiction, and it's still harder to see as a gay man than mm -hmm. it is as a straight man. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's that kind of thoughtfulness when you said, you know, George Michael said, this is what it is to be gay, right. and that kind of sparked that. I, I don't think it has to be that way, or I don't think it is that way. That's what I really appreciate about Out of the Doghouse is this really candid um, <laughs> approach to a topic that I think all too often gets really glossed over or... Um, you know, this book is written to heterosexual men who have cheated on their, their spouses. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of that can get written up to this is what men do. And I appreciate the, thought, I appreciate the thoughtfulness in here that says, no, there's, there's a different explanation for this. Or there's a well, it may be, you know, having sex with lots of people and being unfaithful may be what some men do. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't mean that's what you have to do to be a man. Yeah. Um, and thank you for mentioning Out of the Doghouse. I love the book. It is a book written for men who have cheated on a woman and they want to get her back, they want to make that relationship work, and they think to themselves, well, I know it'll be like if I candy and flowers and I'm mm -hmm. sorry and just going on vacation. You know, men like to solve problems. We are problem mm -hmm. solvers as part of our how we're built. And I think that a man who cheats on his woman genuinely wants to fix the problem. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. He just doesn't really have an understanding of mm -hmm. how big a problem he's created. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, to him it's like, and I'm not talking about sex addiction, I'm just talking about a guy who's cheated. You know, right. To right. him it's when I was off in Vegas with a bunch of guys at a bachelor party and I got a lap dance mm -hmm. or I, mm -hmm. you know, I ran into a girlfriend and we had sex, but it didn't mean anything to me. And, and indeed, it, to him it may mean very little because right. men are more able to compartmentalize sex. But he goes home to his spouse and says, oh, you'll mm -hmm. never guess what happened. I got a blowjob from a sex worker in <laughs> Vegas while I was at the bachelor party. And she's not going to say, I'm so glad you had a good time. Right. Thanks for sharing she's that with me. She's going to say, how could you do this to me? How, I mm -hmm. thought you loved me. I thought you loved our family. Because for her, it's a much greater, much more holistic wound. She's right. lost trust in him. Mm -hmm. And then she doubts, what else might he be lying about? What else may not be true? And mm -hmm. what about our kids? And what about our family? What about our home? What about our church? So it becomes a much bigger issue for her. Right. And then he's like, I don't know how to fix this. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
and it doesn't seem like such a big deal mm -hmm. to me, so why is she making it into such mm -hmm. a big deal? And then men will tend to make her wrong. Mm. Like, well, she just needs to stop nagging me. Mm -hmm. It wasn't that big a deal. When is she going to go off my back? And it was six weeks ago, after right. all, you know. And to her, it could be a year or more before she mm -hmm. works through that. And even then, she'll never look at him in the same way again. Right. Mm -hmm. So I wanted men to understand, hey, dude, you want to fix this with your woman, it's a lot of work. Mm -hmm. And if you were immature enough to make a commitment to her and then <clears throat> go off on your own and do what you wanted to do, in other words, if you committed to monogamy, and then what you chose to do is to go off and be non-monogamous and lie about it, uh, that's a really immature decision that you're going to pay for. Mm -hmm. And let me tell you what it's cost you. Mm -hmm. And I explain to the guys what women are going through. And out of that, what I find is women feel incredibly validated. Like, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, I do have a right to be angry. Yep. I do have a right to be mad. It isn't okay that he treated right. me that way. And that's really important for them. Yes. And then for the men, it's kind of a huh. Wow, I had no idea that this was going to hurt her or this was going to be that big. I knew she'd be mad at me, but I didn't realize it would wound her mm -hmm. so deeply as a person. Mm -hmm. um, I just want to say something about the book because it's really cool to me. Um, so in doing interviews about Out of the Doghouse, um, a relationship-saving guide for men caught cheating, um, <laughs> I've talked to a couple of older interviewers in podcasts. And, and if you're an interviewer like you guys, you generally have to read the book or at least get a good sense of mm -hmm. the book if you're going to interview someone. So I met an older man who interviewed me, he was in his late 50s, and he, he's, he, read, he said, I came upon him to do the interview, and he was very sad. Hmm. And, I, and I was like, what's going on? And he said, well, I read your book. And I was like, first of all, I was like, really, you read the whole book? <laughs> and he said, yeah, I did. And I said, well, tell me what's going on with you before the interview. And he said, well, he said, now I'm looking back, and when I was in my 30s, I really screwed up. Mm -hmm. a relationship that I could have saved and that was really important to me mm -hmm. but I was too immature to understand and I read your book and now I'm looking back and I realized what I lost mm -hmm. yeah. and so here's a man who's been divorced 20 years he's now in a very happy relationship everything's fine in his life but he's looking back and he's able to see the mistake he mm -hmm. made and women who are older and no longer in the in the trauma of an affair will tell me things like I read your book and I realized how traumatized I felt. Yes. Like I realized I had kids and I had all this stuff going on, so I didn't really have time to deal with me. Mm -hmm. But his cheating, his his behavior, that really was trauma for me. Mm -hmm. And I'm still actually hurting about that 20 years later. Mm -hmm. And so that, to me, told me that I had something important to say because people, even years after the issue was resolved, were going back and saying, I could have done that better, I yeah. could have done that different. Yeah. And, and I think that realization, one of the things I really appreciate about the tone of the book is how direct it is. And it's almost that, like, if you had the kind of father or the kind of male role models you need in your life, this is how they would talk to you about these issues. Mm. Yes. Like, wake up. Right from wrong. To realize, Good from yeah, bad. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I imagine, like, I've, I've been in trainings where you presented, and I imagine reading this feels a lot like having a conversation with you. Well, I'll topic. leave that for your readers, to, your <laughs> listeners to decide. But, but I am not concerned. Look, if you hurt somebody and you really want to heal that, wound, I'm not concerned about the pain that you're going to be in in the process of healing it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because you're telling me that's what you want to do. You want to make mm -hmm. it up to this person. Right. So if it's going to hurt you a lot, and I don't mean I'm not slapping these people around. You right. know, what right. it says in the book when you mean direct is, I mean, it really, the book is really a tone of, dude, you kind of screwed this one up, and it's going to take a while to fix it, and it's going to be a lot of work, and yeah. if you want to get in there and do it, you'll have that relationship back. Yeah. And if you don't, you don't have to. I respect your walking away, but know that you could make it better if you wanted yeah. to. Yeah. Which I think in as much as we are kind of emotionally avoidant in our society or especially pain avoidant, right, your book says there is an invitation to do it differently. Mm -hmm. And you don't have to do it differently. Mm -mm. 
Um, but there is a way if you want to, but you are going to have to sit with that. Well, that well, we grow through pain. Yes. You know? I know everyone wants to have a happy life and have everything go well. I mean, and I wish that for everyone. Mm -hmm. But I also wish them a lot of pain and challenge mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. um, not malicious pain, but just the opportunity to grow. Yes. And sometimes we grow when we're in pain. And I find men grow particularly when the threat when they're threatened with losing a loved one. Mm. You know, anyone who's ever done a chemical, a drug addiction intervention, mm. knows that it isn't the threat of being arrested or the threat of dying from the drug use that makes someone stop. It's the idea that they might lose contact with the people who really love them, who will walk away if they keep using. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's a kind of directness that is loving and, and important. And right. I'm telling these women, if a man has treated you this way and he's not willing to own his shit and grow up, you don't have to take that, mm -hmm. you know, because... He was immature. He made a mistake. And by the way, I want to say this from the sex addiction world, because I come from the sex addiction mm -hmm. world, right? I had to think of a name for people who cheat. Mm. Like, a, you know, what do you call cheating? Because it isn't pathology. Right. It isn't like a deeply disturbed, lots of people mm -hmm. cheat. And the word that came up to me for cheating is the word immature. Mm. Mm. I mm -hmm. think if you don't understand what you truly mean to your partner and how important you are to them, and you figure, well, I can just go off and do something on my own and it won't hurt them, then that's an immature decision. Mm -hmm. That's like the kid who, you know, he walks in the kitchen and mom has made cookies and she said, well, is there for dinner? We're not going to eat them now. And then when they're on the stove cooling and mom, not, mom is not in the kitchen, the kid runs in and takes mm -hmm. some cookies, mm -hmm. which I understand a seven-year-old is going to do that. Right. Mm -hmm. But if you're 35 and you've made a commitment in business not to steal, not to lie, not to defraud, most of the men I work with would be extremely disturbed if they were to cross a boundary into doing anything unethical in their workplace, mm. business, their reputation, and yet they will commit to a woman in a contractual agreement that I will not cheat on you, and then for some reason that just dances right out of their head mm -hmm. when they see something they want to go for. Right. And to me that's an immature decision to mm -hmm. be able to put out, put the important thing in your life aside and say, well, I'll just go what I want to do anyway, and hopefully that won't create a problem. That's an immature decision. Yeah. And part of that feeling the pain stuff you mentioned, if I get to feel the pain that I put my partner through, may and, and I see their tears, their hurt, their anger, maybe I love them enough to never want to put them through that again. Mm -hmm. And maybe the learning comes in the pain of realizing what I've done. Right. And from there I can grow. Yes. I, I, I often say sometimes, you know, as, as much as I enjoy watching the sunset with my spouse on a beach somewhere and as much as that bonds us when we really talk about the bond in our relationship it goes back to the struggle right what we have struggled with together whether that was raising the kids that we have whether that was some financial stress that we went through right it's those struggles it's those challenges that really bond us mm -hmm. as much as a sunset does i wish it could all be sunsets but if it was, I don't think that we would go as deep in our bonding with each other as we do with the struggle. Well, I'm not a religious person, and but I'll make a biblical reference. You know, the Garden of Eden is not available to us. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that, was, that door was closed. And so we are forced to live a life that is filled with love and happiness, but also with pain and challenge. Mm -hmm. And every time there's pain and challenge, we have an opportunity to grow. And I think for everybody who's listening, like if you're an addict or you love an addict, you know, the, the pain of recovery, the pain of working through that, the challenge of having slips and relapses and going back to treatment and all of that, though every one of those is an opportunity to grow. Right. And that's why we don't shame an addict. We say progress, not perfection. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, because we know people are going to struggle, but we love them for their struggle. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
And, and I would go back to your word of immature. It's, it's again, it's a maturing process because simply having birthdays doesn't mature us, right? That ages us. Yes. But it's this process of being able to look at things from multiple angles, to see somebody else's perspective, to be able to deal with our impact when that's negative on another person. Mm-hmm. All of that matures us as a person. And, and even to, I think, own our motivations that are less than ideal. Like that was a part of the book that really stood out to me that um, I, I think helps a lot of men in this situation to dig deeper and do the work they actually need to do. Like you talked about how limerence can be one of the reasons why people cheat, kind of that there's a new spark here with somebody new. There's the, I'm done with this relationship, but I can't own that. And like so, I'm living with my spouse, but I'm, other, um, now we have to edit. Um, I wanted to under better understand the question you were asking. I didn't quite get it no, wasn't so, concrete enough. So I, I think some of that um, maturing process comes through facing some uh, difficult realities about ourselves and doing that with the person that we committed to. So you know, mm-hmm. if we don't feel the spark of romance anymore, I think we need to own that. And if we want to help the relationship, we want that to come back, we have to do something about that. Um, if we're done with the relationship, um, we need to own that too. And we need to do, I think, the kind and responsible thing and let our partner know where we're at. And so... If, if we know. Right. You know, I think on the other side, there are... Well, first of all, I was going to say that I think... You were talking about the process of maturing. And I think that very often we can love someone and have them deeply affect us. But especially those of us who have trauma or have survived early challenges, we deeply love them. But we can kind of dismiss that love, kind of not really give it our full attention, mm-hmm. just assume it's a given. It's just there. Or not even realize how, how deeply attached we are, because mm-hmm. a lot of us grow, grow up having to maybe not know how attached we were to mm-hmm. crazy or difficult circumstances. But when you see the pain in your spouses, you know, when you see that person fall apart because of your actions, it's an opportunity to say, wow, on some level, this is how deeply this person is attached to me. And if you're in pain about seeing their pain, that you are deeply attached to them. Mm-hmm. And even that knowledge in the moment of pain of how much we have loved is an opportunity to grow. Yeah. And I think that's so counterintuitive for a lot of the people we work with to dive into that pain and have that pain be a symbol of the, or a, 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 a evidence of the connection that's there. Well, our culture, I mean, we're taught to be looking good on the outside every mm-hmm. single minute. And it's funny, you know, I used to, I grew up in the 60s and uh, the early 70s, before the social revolution and then after. And you know, back in the day, it was very important to look good on the outside. That was everything. You know, everyone looked alike. Everyone was supposed to be, no one was supposed to get divorced. No one was supposed to have interracial marriages. No one was supposed to marry someone in another religion. Everyone was supposed to be perfect. You know, that was the 50s mm-hmm. and 60s. And, and it's interesting to me because when I go online, that world still exists mm-hmm. on Facebook. Mm-hmm. Everybody's Instagram. happy marriages. Everybody's having fun with their kids. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh my God, everyone's living out their perfect lives. Right. And I look at their perfect lives and I'm like, well, how come I struggle? Yeah. Because people online, in the world that they show us, they don't really show us their struggles. Mm-hmm. And yet we long for that mm-hmm. because it makes us feel human. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. yeah, so I was thinking about, as we were talking about um, that this book is written... Um, for men who have cheated. I also, I, I find a lot of my partners that I work with, they really like the book. And, and like you were saying, it validates something in them. And <clears throat> I think it's one of those, I had one client come up into, into my office once and she was an, an older client and said, I'm realizing by reading this book that I've got work to do on this. Like, to stand up to him, to, well, to not let this be okay kind of thing? Well, well, I mean, she was, she was kind of talking about that 
she kind of grew up in a time in which very gender stereotype, the man fixes the problem and the woman lets him, mm. right? And she was saying, he, he can't fix this problem for mm -hmm. me. And so I've got to do something about that too. Like there's work I have to do to fix this problem. And one of it is I get to be angry. Yes, I'm so glad you didn't say that the work is forgiveness because it, mm. that's much later down the road. Right. Her job is to allow herself to dip into the pain and anger and any anguish that she's been caused mm -hmm. and live in that as long as she needs to. Even mm -hmm. though he is probably saying things like, "It will you just get over this? Or can you ever give me a break? Or mm -hmm. it was just once? Or those things may be true for him. Right. But that doesn't matter when she's thinking about what she's been through and what it means to her. Right. Um, so yeah, it is an opportunity for women to grow too. Um, I mean, I, I, I'm I'm very much focused on women's empowerment these days, especially since we're living in a very patriarchal. Good for moment. you. <laughs> but we're living in a very patriarchal. We moment. are. We are. And uh, I'm a little angry at women because I don't think they're working hard enough to fight. You know, there's some assumption in the culture I think that men are going to somehow see women. Mm -hmm. like, mm -hmm. And I think it's, you know, and if you women think that we're going to move aside out of our power position mm -hmm. because we see you, you're going to have to fight. Yes. And that's part of what I'm interested in is encouraging women to to stand up and embrace mm -hmm. not, you know, not feminism in the, in the old sense, like I don't want to look sexy so men don't objectify me or I don't want to seem weak by being vulnerable. Mm -hmm. I love that women are embracing their strengths, that mm -hmm. sexuality is a strength, that compassion mm -hmm. and empathy are strengths. Right. Um, and that we have something of value to offer. That's different than whether that. Yes, and whether people think that it's a value is kind of irrelevant because we know it is. What is a world... Look, a man's world, especially in the business, a man's world is about winning and being right and, and conquering and, and achieving and, you know, mm -hmm. all that. Women give us compassion and empathy and community mm -hmm. building and all that stuff. Which um, can also help us achieve. I don't, yeah, I don't see how there's route. one without the other. Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it is yin and yang. And, um, yeah, I, I mean, absolutely. Yeah. I, I would say, you know, on that, when you're talking about empowering women, I would say that... Uh, Peter Levine talks about in Healing Trauma that we go through this restoration of healthy anger. Mm -hmm. um, and I, mm -hmm. I think that's a really important thread in our, most of the heterosexual relationships I work with, like he's the rager and she takes it. Um, mm -hmm. And so I think as, as this book talks about uh, validating some of those feelings and validating that deep betrayal, there really does need to be a restoration of anger with women or even maybe not even a restoration just validation yeah validation mm -hmm. or, or this is the first time anger is okay mm -hmm. and and part of what i've been saying to men is dude you got to take that mm -hmm. yes. you know you want to love this woman now the way you didn't love her before then let her be angry at you mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. let you know don't come home when you're 10 minutes late and she says i know you're at it again say i wasn't i was at the grocery store say you know, given what we've been through, I can understand that you think I was cheating tonight, even though I really was at the grocery store. Yeah. You know, give her yes. the opportunity to understand that you get the big picture, yeah. even though she's angry right now. Because if you just say, hey, I'm 10 minutes late because I was out getting your groceries, so get off my back, mm -hmm. that just shuts things down. And it, 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 well, and it pushes her back to this role of you're supposed to appreciate me. Right. And, and be grateful that I'm doing what I was supposed to be doing mm -hmm. and not be mad that I did what I wasn't supposed to be doing for a moment, you know? By the way, um, in the news right now, there's a lot of discussion about women cheating because Esther Perel mm -hmm. just came out with a book, mm -hmm. and there's a lot about why women in healthy relationships cheat and happy mm -hmm. relationships cheat. And I've been asked, why don't you write a book about women cheating? You know, where's the companion book for women who want to get their men back? And the problem is, is you know, we don't see nearly as much of it. Right. That's not to say that women aren't cheating. I think. 
Perel quoted that forty percent of women in happy marriages cheat, mm. um, and that it doesn't have to do with how happy or not happy they are in the relationship. In the big picture, like they have mm-hmm. what they want, they have who they want, they have the, you know, but their lack of satisfaction and sense of overwhelm and all the things they have to do lead them to have a lot of needs they feel aren't met in the marriage, mm. and they go out elsewhere and look for those needs to be met. But also technology has driven that, mm-hmm. for women in particular. And it's one of the things Esterell doesn't talk about, which is, you know, 30 years ago, if a woman wanted to go out and pick someone up and have an affair or just get laid, she'd have to go to a bar. Yeah. She'd have to go someplace public. And, you know, if she's married in a relationship, that's not a comfortable thing. Or right. it had to happen in the workplace and then other people knew about it. But now a woman can pick up, you know, Tinder or whatever, and she, or Ashley or whatever, mm-hmm. and she can hook up with someone without having to be publicly exposed as, as mm-hmm. being out of her relationship. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot more opportunity for women to act like men always have. Mm-hmm. Men always kind of had permission on some mm-hmm. level uh, to a certain degree to be doing flirting and out there. And even when they're in relationship, women have not had that permission. Um, but they're taking it now, mm-hmm. at least some of them are. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and I find with the women that I work with who have been cheated on, um, that anger is necessary in them finding themselves. Oftentimes, I think, I, again, I'm, I'm broadly speaking here, so if it doesn't apply to you, it doesn't apply to you. But I think generally speaking, a lot of women fall into old stereotypes that really maybe never worked for women, but especially now are not working for women. And they're finding this, I don't know really how to have a voice. And some of the work for them in this is they're figuring out their voice. And mm-hmm. and if I'm working with a man who has cheated, I'm saying sometimes when they find that voice, they may yell with it a lot. Mm-hmm. And hopefully it doesn't last forever. But they might need to yell for a while because they were like, wow, I had no idea my voice could be so loud. <laughs> and, and hopefully if, you know, if we're on the right track with treatment, that'll mellow out. Mm-hmm. But you've also got to let her know, I hear your voice and you don't have to yell at me for me to hear it. I hear you. I think it's a learning, you know, again, I think the man who's, uh, one of the things we talk about in doghouse, and the man who's done the cheating has to have some humility. Mm-hmm. I think the woman who has been cheated on needs to be able to, to fully express and feel how that has affected her and, and what has happened. But um, but sometimes we get people who just get stuck in their anger, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and I think that's something we have to differentiate because yes, you know, and it's very tricky because if the guy who's cheated is still I don't know Facebooking other women, still kind of coming home late, still keeping secrets, then she's going to be really angry for a while, mm-hmm. even though he may say, "Well, I'm not with anybody," right. but he's not reassuring her. Mm-hmm. He's not really with her. He he isn't meeting her need to begin to trust him again. Mm-hmm. So, and that is one. You know, it's funny when. One of the things I write about, and I know from dealing with 25 years of unfaithful couples, one of the things that women most frequently do when they've been cheated on is they start to do detective work. So they go through his wallet, they go through his cell phone bills, they go through his browser history. You know, they're trying to find out what happened. Mm -hmm. And, you know, a lot of guys will say, oh, my God, I feel so invaded. She's just into everything. She won't give me a break. I have no space. It's like she wants to know everything, and I just can't stand this. And my response to that is, dude, she's looking for reasons to stay. Hmm. You know, when a woman is expressing her rage, when she's going through your shit, when she wants to get to the bottom line of what exactly happened, she's not looking to leave. If she wanted to leave, she would have been out the door. She's looking to find out, okay, is this something, once I know the whole thing, can I handle it? Can I live with it? Can we move on? Mm. And I don't think that most women who've been cheated on want to leave. Mm-hmm. And most couples have a lot more going on than the cheating. They have kids, they have family, they have friends. They have... So, 
you know, when it push comes to shove and this becomes revealed, it's time for the couple to grow. Yeah. And both of them have to grow. He has to show up for behavior. I, I'll often say, like, I think a guy who's cheated on his spouse, now he doesn't get to be late for dinner. Mm-hmm. Now he doesn't get to not take out the garbage. Now mm-hmm. he doesn't get to say, oh, you take care of the kids tonight. He doesn't get to lock his phone, right? He's in the doghouse. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what it means. That's why I wrote the title in the doghouse. To be in the doghouse means you're not at the same uh, level of uh, power and permission as your spouse. You're one down. You have let down your home. Mm-hmm. You know, my dog pees in the house. She goes outside and she doesn't get her fuzzy bed and her cute toys. And, <laughs> you know, she learns she's did something wrong. And in the same way, once a man has cheated on a woman, he's in the doghouse. And that mm-hmm. doesn't just mean that she's not going to be nice to him for right. a while. or gonna be. It also means he has to understand what it means to be in there, right. which means it's time to show up and be the husband that you need to be, to be the father you need to be, to be the boyfriend, because now is the time you need to show her that you can be a stand-up guy mm-hmm. for this relationship. And if you live in the doghouse long enough and you become familiar with it enough, um, eventually you'll get invited back in the house. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the goal. Yeah. I, I don't know if what you just said speaks to this question that was formulating in my mind. You said he's going to have to, like, humility is one of the attributes that he's going to need to make this work. And I, I know with a lot of the clients we work with, especially when they're in this shame place, that humility doesn't come easy. Um, mm-hmm. And it doesn't come out of thin air. Like, how, how do men start to find that? Yeah, it's really funny you ask that question. This is one of my favorite questions. Um, so when I'm working with a sex addict, and well, part of the work is really at some point reviewing his whole sexual history and looking at mm-hmm. how he's treated his you know, spouse or his partner. Or, and sometimes when I work with a man and he'll really get in touch with his behavior, he'll start to cry. Mm-hmm. And he'll say things like, I never wanted to be that kind of husband. I never wanted my kids to look at me that way. I never wanted my wife to doubt me. And he's weeping, weeping. And you know, therapists, we like criers. We like it when we're doing, we feel like we're doing good work when they're crying, you know? And in those cases, I will stop him. And I'll say, you know, what are you crying about? It's like, well, I don't, never thought I'd ever look this, look this way at me. And I never wanted my kids to think of me as hurting their mom. And, but who's that about? Mm-hmm. You know, isn't that all about you? Mm-hmm. Someone who's in empathy and humility says things, they may be crying, but the man who's in empathy and humility says, I can't believe she's going through this. It must be so hard for her. Look at what I did to the kids. They're really struggling. In other words, he's not so concerned with how he is viewed in the family. Mm -hmm. He's worried about how his behavior has affected those he loves. Mm -hmm. And that's the difference to me because shame is a narcissistic wound. It's Mm -hmm. a self wound. It's, oh, I get another opportunity to look at how horrible I am, how unlovable I am, and how unworthy I am. That's shame. And when you've cheated on someone, if you go into that place, into that, oh my God, I'm such a horrible person, there's no help for you or your partner there because mm-hmm. it's still all about you. Mm-hmm. You have to, I have to help the client get out of, I'm such a terrible person, I'm such a bad guy, and into, okay, maybe you're a guy who made some mistakes. Let's look at how those mistakes affected the people mm-hmm. you love so you don't have to make them again. I can give a big giant amen to that. I've seen couples who <laughs> do it. Amen. Amen. Okay. Who who post disclosure? Um, and one couple I'm thinking in particular, it really surprised everybody in the room when they came back after disclosure, and she had she had chosen to separate for a time, and he said, "I'm shocked. I didn't spend this weekend in self pity. All I've been thinking about is how much she's hurting and how much I put her through." And as, she, as he's saying this in the session, his wife looks at him like jaw hits the floor and I'm looking at him like, <laughs> you know, pre-disclosure, you were in this shame narcissistic place. And he said, yeah, something 
something opened up in me and I'm realizing this isn't about me. I've been making this all about me. Um, and where our relationship really, and the cheating is all about him too. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just a con- it you know, continuation of a path, mm-hmm. and we want him off that path. Yeah, mm-hmm. we want him in an us path, not a me path. Right, because when you're in that me path, there's nothing relational happening. Well, that's the immaturity again. Mm-hmm. If I can just say, "Oh, well, my wife or spouse or girlfriend, she doesn't matter while I'm in Vegas getting a lap dance because as long as she doesn't know, it won't hurt her." Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That may well be true, but what happens to you when you have made a commitment and you break it? Right. Mm-hmm. It's funny to me, by the way, I, 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 I don't know how long you guys want to talk, by the way, but um, how long are we chatting, by the way? Uh, we usually been... do about 30, 40 minutes. Okay. So, so um, uh, what were we talking about? Sorry. But not right you were talking about... Humility and recognizing her pain. And... Right. Yeah. Vegas. Did we say Vegas? We said Vegas. I have no idea. So let's... Uh, so if you maybe hear something. Um, the reason that out of, out of the doghouse was written the way it was written in a very direct way asking for humility asking for men to meet their agreements is because these are the lessons of recovery hmm. you know i'm not interested i don't think a relationship has to be monogamous that's up to the couple mm-hmm. but i do think that a relationship well, i don't think a relationship should be involved with a lot of lies and what I've seen kill relationship after relationship is not that he cheated or she cheated or he was narcissistic or she was, it's that they lie to each other. Mm-hmm. And then when these two people find out that the person they thought they were with isn't that person at all, then all bets are off. Mm-hmm. And when, when with women in particular, they feel like, well, if I can't trust you in this area, like a guy will say, oh, well, I cheated, but, you know, I mean, I cheated, but I still come home on time. I still there for the kids. I still, you know, I'm working. I've always put the paycheck in the bank as if trust were parsable. Mm-hmm. Like I could say, well, you can trust me in this area, like, you know, loving you and being there for the family, but you can't trust me in terms of cheating. But in every other area, I'm trustable. And when that information gets to the woman, she says, no, I, I either trust you or I don't. Mm-hmm. And right now, I don't trust you, which means you, you could have done anything. And I wouldn't right. know. You might have another family. So for, for the person who's been wounded by cheating, the real wound is the loss of trust because then they don't know any, they feel, they feel that, well, here's an example, a spouse will say, and you know this, they'll say, you know, I don't know if you've ever really loved me. Mm-hmm. I don't know if anything we've ever had together was real. I don't know if anything we're gonna work on in the future is real because I don't know who you are mm-hmm. if you could do this and not tell me. Mm-hmm. It's not if you could do this, it's if you could do this and not tell mm-hmm. me. What this woman wants is she wants to know who her partner is, good and bad, right and wrong, even if it's painful, even if it causes struggle. Unfortunately, most men are thinking, I just want to look really good and not get into trouble with mom. Right, (laughs) right. Well, and I think that's some of that. I think this is where we were before we got off track is that idea that what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. Like, that's just not true. What happens in Vegas goes home with you and becomes part of your character, becomes part of who you are in relationships. Yeah, I was going to say I was going to say to you guys that I've worked with lots of guys who who've uh, been found out by a spouse and they'll say, "Oh my god, my wife's a witch." Or, "Oh my god, my wife's intuition is just off the charts. I can come home 5 days a week and she doesn't and, and she doesn't say anything, but that one day I stopped at the massage parlor, she knows. How could she know?" <laughs> And it's in our male narcissism. We think that we pull it off. Mm-hmm. We think we're not acting differently or we're not being mm-hmm. distant or we're not. There are so many cues we give to the people around us in our how we position our head and the smells that are coming out of our bodies and the way we hold our hands. There's a million ways that we tell her that we have hurt her and cheated and we're trying to pretend that everything's okay. Yeah. And she picks up on that and she says, what's going on? 
and he says nothing, everything's fine, and that's how gaslighting starts, mm -hmm. which is the idea, gaslighting is the idea that a man or woman is coming to their partner and saying, I think this is going on, and they feel it, and they have a sense of it, and that partner says, no, that's not true. Right. Mm -hmm. And every time your reality is denied like that, mm -hmm. you get a little crazier. Right. Because you lose touch with your gut, which is what's telling you this, don't trust this. And then you go and you hear, no, you're wrong. So we then actually you're like, have a oh, diagnosis for this. That. I don't know, at least when I was in school, and it doesn't really matter so much your audience, but there's a diagnosis in psychotherapy for if someone is really crazy, crazy psychotic, like they're schizophrenic and really mm -hmm. ill, and they live with a fairly sane person, mm -hmm. that over time that other person will start to hear voices, will start mm -hmm. to see things, and will be paranoid. Because when you live so deeply and closely attached to someone, you do begin to take on mm -hmm. some of their belief systems and characteristics. And that's not codependency, that's healthy attachment. Right. I want to be the old couple that is walking off in the sunset and we're both wearing gray shorts and green shirts. <laughs> and we both have short hair because you don't know which one of us is the male or the woman. To me, that's where it's at. You right. Know? You were going to say something, John. I, I was just going to say that when you mentioned that parsing out of trust and how that's not possible, mm -hmm. I, think, I think the... The power differential starts to be resolved in the marriage when she can say something's off and he can say, you're right. Yes. And he can be transparent. Yes. It, it made me think of, and I've shared this on the show before, my grandfather was an alcoholic and I remember talking to my grandma. I didn't know until I was like 14 that this was the case and it was never openly talked about. But I do remember my grandma saying things like, for all of his flaws, bills were always paid and there was always food on the table. And then I talk to my, mm -hmm. my aunts and uncles and they'll say, I was scared of my dad. I didn't feel connected, but bills were always paid and food was always on the table. And I, I think that there's a, um, it's incumbent on both people in the relationship when something's off for, for somebody at least to mm -hmm. speak up. And, and often it will be the one who has, has not done the training that will say something's off Mm -hmm. and and this doesn't sit right because for the person who's doing the betraying the way that the relationship is working right then it's working for them mm -hmm. like they get to have their cake and eat it too and you have to understand too that um we don't look at our partners we don't look at the people we love as undermining us and doing things to hurt us mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. it always bothers me when someone says about you know so a guy who had an affair uh, you know his wife should have known or his girlfriend should have known or everybody in the neighborhood knew or all our friends at church knew how could she not know and the reality is when you're really close to someone, you want to look at mm -hmm. them as loving you, as being supportive. You will believe them when they say nothing bad mm -hmm. is going on. You need to see that in them. Because you're so deeply right. connected to them. Right. And so it makes sense to me, and actually is healthy, that a woman who didn't know her husband was having an affair and everyone else did, that's healthy that she didn't mm -hmm. know that. Because mm -hmm. she's trying to hold on to the man that she believes she has. Right. And then once she finds out that he isn't that man or hasn't been that man, she's in for a whole lot of pain. Mm -hmm. How how did we hear that this week? At, at the Jackie and I did a sex therapy training and they showed a video of a man talking about how we lie to each other about who we are oh, when yeah, we start yeah. the relationship. And over time it becomes really, or over time what the relationship can provide for us is an opportunity to become the lie that we gave our spouse or that we gave our partner. Mm -hmm. And and I think mm. post-affair, that's a lot of what wow. is on him is, you know, you sold her a bill mm -hmm. of goods in the beginning and you need to start living up to that. Or not. Right. Right. Which is like, I don't want to give this much. I don't want to do this mm -hmm. much. And, you know, there's something to maybe be honest about that from the beginning. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, which is a whole other conversation we can mm -hmm. have. There's a book I'm going to write 
two books down the road called uh, Sexual Integrity. Mm. It's funny, you know, I go to audiences and I say, and I get a lot of female therapists, so I've got a couple hundred people, there's usually about two-thirds women. And I'll say, so ladies, you know, um, here's the scenario. We're both in our 40s, we both have kids, we've been married before, we're dated a lot of people, you're the best since sliced things since sliced bread. Like, this is the perfect relationship. And I really want to get in, I, I want to be with you, I want to marry you, I want to move in with you, this is good, right? And she says, yeah, it's great, right? Best I've seen. And he says, but I just want to tell you that you know, once in a while I want to have casual sex outside a relationship and, you know, I might go to a massage parlor, I might see someone in Vegas. I mean, um, I did this in my other relationships, my other partners knew and, you know, I, I can promise you I'm not interested in leaving, you know. And I asked the audience, so how many of you ladies, given this, would then say, okay, I'm going to marry you? And universally they say, none of them. Oh, they all say, no one. I have none of them. And then I give them the same scenario. You know, you're in your 40s, hard to meet someone, you got kids, you find the right person, you're having a great time. And he doesn't tell you any of that. But six years later, you see some receipts and you see some stuff on his bills and you realize he's been seeing a prostitute once in a while for the last few years. How about, is that the marriage you'd rather be in? Mm -hmm. Because that's really what we face. Mm -hmm. I truly don't believe that women want to know men as well as they women want to be known by men. Mm -hmm. Women want yeah. to believe about us that we are devoted to them, that we never look at another woman, that the more we love them, the more, the less we'd be attracted to anyone else, mm -hmm. and that we're all about candy and roses and flowers, because that's what you've taught us. But the truth is, is that men are not built like women. Mm -hmm. And we walk down the street, no matter how much we love our partner, no matter how great a relationship we have, and we see someone who's hot, and we think about having them. And it takes us a minute or two to say, oh, oh, yeah, that's all right, I'm married, I'm not going to do that. But right. in the beginning, the way a man's brain works is, I want to go do that. But that's not how women's brains mm -hmm. work. When mm -hmm. you guys get turned on, you start thinking. Mm -hmm. You start thinking, is he a nice guy? So Will we get along? And that's um, biological. Mm -hmm. Because if you were to go along with your sexual urges, you'd get pregnant, you'd get raped. Right. You'd, men are in a much right. safer position. So women are women think that men think like them. Mm. So women think, because I only really uh, am feeling connected to someone sexually when there's love and connection, when I care about them, that my man would never go off and have sex with someone unless he cared about them because that's what sex that's is. How it, right? That's how you do it for the most part. Mm -hmm. um, in fact, w when we study women's sexuality, the, if they really want to have sex with someone, they're going to grab for it like, he seems nice. or you know, they, But they've got to find something in their head. It's an intellectual process. Mm -hmm. And so when we cheat on you, you think because you tie love and sex in a way that we don't necessarily. Um, outside of relationship, mm -hmm. you say, oh, well, you must not love me because you went and did this. When for a man, it doesn't necessarily mean I didn't mm -hmm. love you at all, but that doesn't matter because what matters is how I've left you feeling. Right. And what matters is who I told you I was. Well, what matters is I made agreement with you. Yeah. You know, if yeah. we, as I said, if I went to you and we, I said, I'd like to have an open marriage, occasionally this, and you said, I'm not threatened by that. I know you love me. We've been together, you know. Great, you know, mm -hmm. then if I occasionally go have a lap dance in Vegas, nobody cares. Mm -hmm. But if I tell you, I never look at porn, that's not in my value system, I'm never gonna do that in our home, and you find 3,000 images on my computer one day when, you're, when I'm not home, mm -hmm. you're gonna be pissed when I get mm -hmm. home, and not because I look at porn. I mean, that's gonna upset you, but what's gonna upset you more is, I had this whole life going on that I didn't let you know about. Right. And again, who are you if you mm -hmm. lied to me about this? And so I have to tell you that one of the things I did in Out of the Doghouse was redefine infidelity. Mm -hmm. Which technology has demanded that we do. That's what I thought was, you know, in my day I knew what an affair was like. It was mm -hmm. like we were at the office and we were hanging out and we were staying late and we were working on projects together and I had lipstick on my collar, you know, the 60s mm -hmm. version, the madman version of cheating. But now is it, you know, well, I'm looking at porn and you're in the other room and I say I'm doing the taxes. Or is it 
I'm webcamming with another woman and mm -hmm. we're having sex, but but it doesn't matter because she's 3,000 miles away and I don't know her last name and I'll never meet her. And so it's just like Playboy, you know. Mm -hmm. um, sorry, Hugh, but, you know, whatever. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll do respect. Um, so I had to find a different definition that didn't involve sexual contact to mean infidelity. My definition of infidelity in the digital age is simply uh, the keeping of profound secrets in an intimate relationship. Mm. Mm. Because I could be financially unfaithful. Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. I could say, oh, I love this watch. I'm going to put $10 away out of my paycheck. And in three years, I'm going to buy it. And you're going to say, maybe, you know, I'd rather put that money in the kid's college fund or our vacation fund. And I say, okay, I understand that. But then I don't do it. I take right. $10 out. And you never notice. Three years later, I come home with this great watch. I'm like, guess what? You never even knew I took that $10 mm -hmm. out every month. And I got the watch anyway. You are not going to be happy with me. Right. Not because I don't have a... You'll be glad for my getting something I liked. But I lied to you. Yeah. And I, I lied I to you to get what thing. I wanted, knowing that if you knew about it, you would say no. Which I think is really goes back to this idea of being mature. I think it takes a lot to stand and to let somebody that we care about really oh see us. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to tell you a little story about my own life. I've been married for 16 years to a man. Um, and somewhere around six, five or six years into a relationship, I met someone else mm. in the workplace. And he was just fascinating. <laughs> you know, those people who just, you know, they like everything he had to say was moonbeams and mm -hmm. I was starlit and, and I wanted to, and we were, and we were uh, spending some time in school together. So I was going on walks with him and we were spending time together and I knew what was going to come next. Mm -hmm. But I'm also in recovery. And so I went home and I said to my husband, I met somebody and I want to have sex with them. And I don't know where that's going to lead, but I have really strong feelings about it. And, but I don't want to do it and not have you know. Mm. In fact, I want you to say it's okay. Mm. And he fell apart. Mm. I watched him fall apart. I mean, our, he was crying so hard that our dog came over and mm. put his head. I mean, like even so, I'm really the bad God guy. Bless like, dogs. There's my husband crying with the dog, his head in his lap, and I'm like, <laughs> okay, I'm really the bad guy here. But really, you know, that now that I look back on those moments, I didn't go off of that person, by the way, and mm. I didn't do that because I saw how much it hurt him. Mm -hmm. And I realized I want a relationship with him and I don't want to hurt him this much, and nothing could be that important to me. Mm -hmm. And in, in my, at the moment, integrity, taking the risk that I could lose a relationship by just telling him this, I didn't cheat, mm -hmm. and we got closer. Mm -hmm. That, to me, is a much better and I'm not trying to brag, I just think that works better, it's more painful mm -hmm. than someone finding out something three years later, mm -hmm. or you're knowing something about yourself that you're into that you don't tell your partner mm -hmm. until they're already married to you, and then they find out you're into mm -hmm. feet or leather, or you know, and right. they're horrified. Um, we need to be more honest about sex with our partners. Mm -hmm. um, and I'll just say this, like, I don't know if either of you have been to marriage counseling, like the premarital counseling, mm -hmm. you know, like before you get married and they do the, and the most important thing is actually to them, do you both want to have children? Mm -hmm. Because the big thing that will break a couple up is if one does and one doesn't. Right. We know that three biggest things as therapists that end coupleships are abuse, affairs, and financial issues. Mm -hmm. No premarital counselor ever asks, I don't think, so do you think you'll cheat? And mm -hmm. how will you, or have you been faithful to other people? Or do you think you'll be faithful mm -hmm. to her? Or what if you're not? Or yet, yeah, this is, this breaks up a third of marriages in right. our country, but no one in premarital counseling asks, are you guys really going mm -hmm. to be faithful? And if you're not, what are you going to do? Mm -hmm. So that would be like a mission in life for me to yeah. see that being oh, incorporated yeah. earlier yes. rather than picking up the pieces later. Well, and, and I think as we stand there and really let our partner see us, um, Sometimes we do preventative work there, right? Like mm -hmm. you were saying, you saw him fall apart 
And all of this was before you had gone ahead with the choice you thought you had made. And in watching that play out, you made a different choice. I, my values, watching my partner weep as I talked about having an affair, brought my value system up in front mm -hmm. of me in a way that I could no longer ignore. Yes. And, but if I didn't tell him, I'm sorry, but if I didn't tell him and I just got along with it, there would have been no challenges to my values and because I just wanted to have sex. I wasn't thinking about values at all uh, until I saw the pain in his face. That's such an important part of our sexual and relationship ethics is um, at times we can get really kind of tunnel vision and this is what I want and we forget that we need to evaluate um, at what cost or do mm -hmm. I want this at the price of my partner being in big pain and just those I mean I don't want to call it a simple check-in and, and really minimize what happened there between you and your partner but that very simple process of hey here's what's happening for me so that we can gauge and we can sometimes come back to reality and, and recognize that there's another person whose life our actions impact he might as well have said to me you know what you can go ahead and cheat because I'm not really into this relationship anyway mm -hmm. And that would have been different information mm -hmm, for me, mm -hmm. you know. Um, but but I, 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 this culture and, and everything we're taught is really, like you said, we're pain avoidant. Mm -hmm. And we're not set up to uncover all the icky stuff mm -hmm. underneath. And no one wants to live in that all the time. Right. But we can't live in joy and fun and happiness all the time either. Otherwise, our lives are out of balance. Mm -hmm. That's what addicts want, by the way. Mm. We want to feel good all the time. Mm -hmm. Which means we don't grow. Right. Because we stay very immature. Like without the challenges, you don't get the lessons mm -hmm. and the growth. I know this from people who grew up in very wealthy families, and they, you know, for whatever reason, they've had everything they ever wanted, and they never really had to challenge themselves to figure out who they want to be, mm -hmm. because they don't have to work, mm -hmm. or they don't have to, and these are some of the most challenged people I've seen, because they haven't had to face struggle. Yeah. And it is really in that struggle that we grow mm -hmm. and that we define ourselves. Well, and, and the fire burns us clean, you know. Yes. <laughs> well, and I've seen this, you know, with with people um, sometimes when life is going too well, we unintentionally unaware create our own struggle. Right? I mean, this is where you see sometimes celebrities shoplifting. I remember watching a story mm -hmm. once and they had shoplifted. I was like from Target. Like, what's that expensive well, at but that's Target, like a sex right? Addict. That's like that's like an alcoholic drinking cough syrup. You know, you'd say cough syrup, but right. to them, well, it also introduces a struggle right. into what many of us look at as this pain-free life. They now have some pain, mm -hmm. right? And they've got this challenge. They've got this opportunity for growth. And if we can mindfully create our challenges, yes, right. If we can yes. say, "Hey, life's a little too comfortable right now." And so we either need to create some discomfort or it's going to come. We'll look at our country. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm just saying. Mm -hmm. so, um, so if you're in this position, um, definitely recommend Out of the Doghouse. Thank and you. Mm -hmm. People can find this at all reputable booksellers, right? And they might Amazon. find them at some irreputable. Everyone get it. It's but yeah, Amazon. Doghouse is available everywhere. Yeah. Um, and then we also wanted you to talk about what you're doing within the room. Um, I belong to an online platform called In The Rooms and I support it because they have about 170 12-step meetings a week online mm -hmm. and they are approved by AA. So they have okay. AA approval and they contribute to intergroup. So um, they have basically two, well anyway, I, I went into rooms because I had alcoholic and, and, and uh, drug addict friends who were saying a lot of good things about it. And then, um, but I went on there and saw that there were no S meetings. There was no SAA, there was no SLA. Mm -hmm. And I thought, well, where are the sex addicts? Mm -hmm. So I got a, I built a relationship with the owners and I said, we need to start having some S meetings. And if you're willing, I will 
participate. They have a part of their um, platform called the Clubhouse. And that's where people like Tommy Rosen will do mindfulness meditation. And I do a group on sex, love, and addiction. Um, so every week at 6 o'clock, I'm online. Every single week, I'm online for free. Don't No charges, my service. Um, and I get about 80 to 100 people a week who are there asking questions about sex, love, and relationships mm -hmm. in, in the addiction world. Mm -hmm. uh, I get partners. I get addicts. I get people from Dubai. I get people from Europe. You know, people from all over the world. Mm -hmm. And what I love about online meetings, I have to say, I do think we need to do both. But, you know, if someone travels, for example, mm -hmm. you know, how great that you can go to the same meeting no matter where you are in the world, right. you know. Um, and what I've noticed in the uh, sexual and love recovery uh arena is that women online women really like being online mm. like I, a lot more women will go to meetings than men because online because they feel safer like no guy's gonna, gonna hit on yeah. me no one's yep. woman's gonna judge how i look mm -hmm. you know i can be here in a safe place and and women are also more they more fit they like social media more yeah mm. uh mm. because it's more social <laughs> so um in the rooms is a place where anybody can find a 12-step meeting 24 7 365 days a year no matter where you are on the earth as long as you're plugged into it, the internet and it's also a place that provides a secondary support network for people wanting to figure out questions related to addiction great um and i am just so grateful to do service there because i know that people wouldn't have the access to these mm -hmm. kind of things and i also know having been to enough AA meetings that you know, it's not like people are going to go in there and talk about masturbation. Mm -hmm. It's not like they're going to go in there and talk about their affair, except in terms of their drinking. Mm -hmm. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's just people have the issues that we have. We need a place to talk about those right. things. Yeah. Right. And I wanted to create a place online where people could talk about sex, love, and addiction. So every 6 o'clock uh, California time, Pacific time, every Friday night, you'll find me there. Great. Except for this week, because I'm at this conference. Awesome. And, and how can people find you on social media? Because like you mentioned, two books down the road, Rob right. always has something exciting. <laughs> new going on so how do we stay up to date um, with that uh, at rob weiss msw so it's at rob weiss w-e-i-s-s msw you find uh, that's my twitter handle my facebook um but also i blog every other week for the for psychology today mm -hmm. i blog every other week for psych central i blog for council magazine i blog for uh recovery today so i i um I just hit five million blog readers on wow. psychology today. Good job. And what a wonderful world we live in. I mean, had I been writing books or whatever, no, no, that number of people would never right. read this. Right. So um, I'm so thrilled that you're doing this. I'm so thrilled that we have the opportunity to reach out to people who maybe can't afford therapy mm -hmm. or they can't or they don't have the resources to get the help that mm -hmm. we have been able to get. We can pass on what we have to offer yeah. in this environment. And yeah. that's incredibly great. Yeah. So at the end of this episode, we want to remind you that your story matters. Remember, there's something meaningful in every chapter. Don't wait to share your story till it's finished. You can share your story with us on our Facebook page, Healing Paths, Inc., or on our website, www.thanksforsharingpodcast.com. This podcast is solely for the purpose of information and entertainment and does not constitute therapy, nor should it replace competent professional help. At the end of another episode, we want to remind you that nobody has time for perfection. We are pursuing progress. And remember the prayer of the perfectionist. Help me remember I can't do it all. Help me to take things one step at a time and that the only step I need to focus on is the next right step for me. Help me to remember that life is a journey. Help me to be able to separate all that I am learning from all that I have to do. Help me to remember that I am not alone, that I can ask for help. Help me to strive for frequent awakenings, not mastery. I am enough. Amen.